of pop culture. Can you, um, wait, let me actually, uh, move this over a bit. Uh, that's all right. Uh, um, I have a, uh, actual microphone that I use. Uh, with the condenser and all that stuff. I just moved it closer. There we go. Pop filter up. And... Uh, oh, yeah. Pop filters and things like that. Just in case. And Phil Wesley is of DMG Ice is showing us how it's done and and making me feel microphone envy at the moment. Oh, this is my uh, microphone currently. Uh, there's my pop filter. Um, it's a uh, shotgun mic, and um, pop filter is like 15 bucks over at Guitar Center, so not too bad. I have it attached to a uh, amplifier. This one over here is a uh, PHP One Phantom Power Supply from Sterling Audio. Oh, yeah, whole 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 kit cost about give or take about 110 bucks. Not bad. Nope. Um, money I don't have, so so uh, happens. just me and my little headset that I've owned for a couple of years. Ironically, I'm now starting to use it. And we're here today with Philip Wesley of DMGice.com. He's been in gaming media for over a decade now. So for 15 years, yeah. So, so in five more years, are you going to have the uh, 20 years banner? Uh, three more body? years. Three or three more years, I think. Um, 2017. Wait. Yeah. 2017. So, <laughs> so you're you're on. He is on Facebook, Twitter, um, Google Plus. Oh. So you don't don't really advertise that very much. No, I need to put up a little thing about that. Let's see. Google Plus, Pinterest, Ello. Um, we actually do have a Tumblr and an Instagram and a Vine, but I don't normally use them for anything. I kind of detest Tumblr because of um, I actually re read through their uh, service terms and operations, right? And um, anything posted on Tumblr isn't your property. Same as Facebook, so I'm very careful about what I put up there. If I want to make money or monetize this in the future, it's going to Flickr or to YouTube, where with YouTube, uh, I have I've won a lot of copyright disputes on YouTube. If you're a company and you feel that I'm using your song and something on YouTube, don't mess with me. I always win. Oh, so you... You actually do are able to appeal and win. There have been people who've yes. tried. Yep. Who've tried and lost. And Oh, I have concert footage up, and if I have concert footage up, I have written proof that I can use that concert footage. I don't normally monetize concerts, but I will if companies give me shit about it. Oh, can I can I curse? Yes. We don't care. Um, okay, good. <laughs> so... so um, this is gonna kind of go from the beginning. Um, what what inspired you to start your website? How long have you been into video games, et cetera, et cetera? Your first console. Oh, well, um, the reason I started DMGIs is when I was in high school. Um, there was a actually I was around sixteen, um, almost seventeen. Um, Someone, someone I knew had a website devoted to jazz music, and I was like, 
well, that looks kind of cool. Um, so all this is just typing, right? You just type stuff in, and you just type out all these little co this code stuff. I used to do that all the time with the Commodore 64. So I thought, well, I should do this. I should do this about things I like, which are, well, at the time, Game Boy. My first video game console, essentially, that wasn't a uh, computer, like the, not, not like the Commodore 64 or the Apple 128, or 1128, um, sorry, 128, Apple 2E. No, sorry, Apple 2E. Yeah, was the Game Boy, which I got in um, Germany, and uh, that was pretty much the end of everything, pretty much, because, I mean, I had Tetris, Super Mario Land, um, I got DuckTales and Metroid, and just, it was just that. In fact, that's where the name for DMGIs comes from. The DMG is Dot Matrix Gaming, or rather the uh, product code for the original Game Boy. Um the ice thing came a little bit later um, because it was originally Philips Game Boy website from 90s, like late 97, and then we got uh, an DMG ice when we moved over to Tripod. <laughs> I know, right? Tripod. And oh. uh, uh, that that shows how dated we are. I used to have websites up on Angel Fire if that tells you anything. So, <laughs> oh man, remember GeoCities? Mm. Nah, I, I mean, yeah, it was up on a, it was up on a tripod, and I wanted a, a, something unique, and I went with like the they announced the ice blue commemorative color for the anniversary of the Game Boy. And I was like, there we go, DMG Ice, kind of an odd name, and um, it it worked. Kind of like we also had little spinoffs at the time. I had multiple tripod websites myself because I had like eight different email addresses at the time. One for Yahoo, oh. one for Communitech, one for uh, Juno. Actually, two, multiple ones for Juno. I'm looking on my other system, and I see you still have that, that logo where the ice block is being thrown still yep. at the bottom. Mm -hmm. That's And I noticed that's still a mainstay, too. Oh, yeah. Little viruses um, and uh, Plymouth. That's the uh, name I gave to that particular. It's a it's a buzzy beetle or um, an ice throwing beetle from Super Mario Bros. Three, but we named it Plymouth because um, that sounds like a good name for an ice throwing beetle. <laughs> and, and the little viruses from Doctor Mario. So that... actually have names. Um, the little yellow one we refer to as Jerry. He's like a shy yellow virus. If you click on it, it takes you to NeoGAF. The red virus was um, the other little tripod website we had was View, was um, View Fire, V U E Fire, and that that's that particular thing's name, and that has to do with the Virtual Boy. But if you click on that because it's red, it takes you to our Reddit thing that we don't normally advertise that we have. And then the little random blue viruses I think take you to Google. Um, the ice block takes you to a thing, um, a little hidden page where I list all my DS games that I own, DS, 3DS, and uh, Vita. So that that's pretty nifty. Um, so you, so it, so this is like, oh, this is this is cool. I, I'm gonna do this for stuff I like, and and away we go. Um, kind of. Um, also, originally when I was starting out on it. Um, I wanted to make something for something that actually respected handheld and mobile games. I mean, we were all playing like Snake on our phone at the time, right? And I was like, you know, this could be something. Also, I think handhelds are a wonderful thing, and they could be something more. Nobody 
took them seriously. EGM doesn't take them seriously. Ultra game, sorry, game players didn't take them seriously. Game fan didn't take them seriously. Nobody took handheld seriously. All the other handheld websites were. Here is a small review of some Game Boy games, and then here is a shitload of ROMs. They were all devoted to piracy, and I was like, um, that handheld gaming or rather the ability to take video games with you on the go, is a revolutionary idea. It's something that should be praised, something that should be the future. It should be treated with respect. So I thought, well, I'm going to make a website that just deals with reviews and news. And um, we were actually on Nintendo's end list for a while. They had this thing where they had an old forum called The Treehouse, and if you were um, a video game website, you told them, hey, I'm a video game website, they'd look it over, and if they liked it, they would add it to their links. So for the longest time, we were part of Nintendo's links, which was great because all those people, Dan, uh, they were all really, they were all really great people. Dan Osen, I think, works with, I don't know where he works now. I think probably Microsoft. Oh wow! But now, um, yeah. So your site's been. Uh, through some transformations over the years, it looks like it's still optimized for touchscreen interfaces too, from the size of the um, images oh, yeah. with the captions for site sections and what have you. Uh, do you obviously you feel touch-based devices are still going to be the wave of the future at the moment? Oh, definitely. I mean, that's why I, I mean, I designed it so that it'll fit nicely on a phone or on a tablet. And right. The thing is that you, ta- you tap those buttons or so for that. I do think that the future for these things, though, will be um, gestures or, um, I think I think eventually we're going to get to the point where, um, I, I think wearables will be kind of part of the future to a point where I can look at this and I will be able to, um. Like put my hand through in a projected image. That's why these are all in PNG. That's why they're very low impact. Um, unless our website is specifically banned, you could be on a uh, Tandy 878, whatever they call them, one of those really old computers from early 1990s, and you can still access our website. As long as it can read PNG, which a lot of things still can, it'll still work. We wanted to make sure it was navigatable on the least amount of, like, I don't like a lot of Flash, PHP, et cetera, et cetera, although we do use it in WordPress for, like, Radio DMG and other stuff. Originally, I had, like, 32 megs to work with, so I put everything into a point where you can fit the entirety of, you used to be able to fit the entirety of the website on a floppy disk. You can't anymore because of, like, the content we've added, but still... We can still fit on a, on kind of a CD unless you count Radio DMG, which is several gigs. We're like, mm, I think that almost fifteen. Sorry, not almost. Um, wow, it's about seven. Yeah, it's about. Um, we're coming on about three or four months worth of content, like straight on that. Um, and do you host the um, audio files yourself, or do you use a third-party service to yes. 
No, I host those myself. I have the. Uh, I'm paying for three different servers. Uh, Animation is Art has a server. Radio DMG has its own ser- has a server like server space, and DMG has a server space. We have unlimited space with those. So everything is everything for Radio DMG is in that website. It's in the little. Th- it's in there. I have backups of it. I just was like, I don't want this to be moderated by anyone else but me. And and plus, there's though there's bandwidth that has to be contended with. It's also more traffic to the site. Period. Oh yeah. So and the the way I look at it, I'd rather um, I would rather have complete control of what I put out audio wise. I don't have complete control of what I put out YouTube wise because eh, there's still some stuff I won't do or use if I don't have the clearance for it. So I'll use their, like, some of their free stuff for that. Like, they actually have free audio that you can use, and I do occasionally use that, but for the most, I try and make sure that everything I put up there doesn't fall under copyright stuff, although I have had that happen, where um, I've been... The um, only times where I've been, like, eh, whatever, is um, there was a video I had from Nondesk on um, their New Year's Eve party, which had the final countdown in it, and Sony Music was like, well, if you're going to have it in there, we're not going to be able to um, have it in Europe. No one can see it in Europe. I was like, well, I kind of want to monetize this, and I want people to be able to see it because it's funny, so I'll just put a little thing in here and just remove that part of the audio, which I did. That's the only time I've ever compromised with anybody on that. And it was Sony, and it was more or less like, well, I want to be in Europe. I want all these people in Europe to be able to access this, and I'm pretty sure that they can find a copy of the final countdown to see this person being ridiculous too. So, Right. And the video was more important than the audio in that regard. So, and you, you still... I know it's you, you're still everywhere on the mobile gaming uh, console. Um, do you do a lot of Android gaming? I do not own a Windows phone. <laughs> uh, sorry, not Windows phone, an uh, Apple phone. Um, this is, um, I don't know, which, which version of this is, this of Android am I running? Of course I'm, of course I'm running Android. It's the, let's see, let's hardware version P3P3C, Android version 4.42. KitKat. Oh, okay, yeah, KitKat. Pretty great. Um, one thing I love about this, I actually love that messaging app they have on uh, Facebook where it puts a little bubble up on the top. that <laughs> around. My, some, some, some people have been annoyed by that. No, I, I love that because you know you can fling it across the screen if you want. Like I always, I just fling it out of the way, like with a simple flick. Um, I've got, um, I'm with the Think Republic Wireless, so I pay like forty bucks a month. Okay, <laughs> you have five dollars. So I take it Sprint service works very well out there. Mm, I don't actually think I'm on. No, we had Sprint for a little bit, but this is a uh, Moto something or other. It's something different. Um, ma- uh, mainly they Republic Wireless uses Sprint's network as a backup, oh, yeah, yeah. not near a Wi-Fi access point. Oh yeah, and I'm almost always near some type of Wi-Fi access point because the thing about living in Denver, Colorado, is there are Starbucks almost every other block, and they have free Wi-Fi. 
And then there's McDonald's every other block or so. They have free Wi-Fi. Taco Bell has free Wi-Fi. Um, a lot of little mom and pops have free Wi-Fi. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm pretty much in, like, Wi-Fi little hot zone here. So that helps. Right. And and, and heaven help people when uh, Google Fiverr comes to Denver, Colorado. I think the only thing about Google Fiverr is that Google is an evil company. And I'm sure that they won't be using it for good. No, I'm just kidding. Actually, I think it's funny that their logo is – their motto is do no evil. I'm like, oh, man, that instantly makes me suspicious. <laughs> oh, absolutely. Hence why Google Hangouts works most of the time and until you have to close it, delete the event, restart the event just to oh. get the thing to work properly. And – and you, I think part of the other issue is you and I are using the different web browser. I'm using Chrome, ah. and you're using Firefox, which... You're using Chrome, the destroyer. <laughs> well, um, but I, I'm part of this whole screen-wise trends panel, which if, if my data personally is harvested, I might as well get paid a weekly stipend for it anyway, so... Oh, yeah. I mean... To be perfectly honest, like 90% of the data people actually put out there isn't useful for, um, you know, blackmail purposes. I mean, for those people who are like, I'm going to upload naked selfies to the cloud, and now at that point, you're being, they're just being dumb. Yeah, and, and, and oh, absolutely. Uh, so, you've been to a lot of conventions over the years. Um, you've been to video game-related events. Um, any funny stories from any of those? Well, let's see. Hmm. I'm actually missing an hour of my life thanks to uh, these people who make um, um, they make mouse pads or something. There's some company out of Sweden. I discovered the joy of vodka, and that's why I'm missing about an hour of my life. But um, I don't know. There's a... I think if I want, since I think I, since you did tell me a little bit about what topics you were thinking of um, discussing, I do want to mention that um, there's this, there was a um, time where I was actually asked to leave a uh, booth because my presence in the booth as a reporter made a developer uncomfortable, and the reason why is because well there's this company called Taurus Games, I had interviewed them and I'm friends with them. And um, I had interviewed them over, like, a game called Duke Nukem for the Game Boy Color, which is actually pretty great. It's a part of the old PC game, not the si the um, 3D one, but the side-scrolling stuff, and it's really wonderful. They also worked on a Star Wars game called Yoda Stories. Yoda Stories is complete shit. When um, I, they, I, got, I got a copy of it, and I was like, you know what? I interviewed these people. They're nice people. I am just going to recuse myself of this and give this off to one of my one of my co one of my people over here who isn't their friends. And uh, so he reviewed it and he just completely skewered it. <laughs> Dead. Um, I have a YouTube video where I play through it again and I explain why it's a terrible game. But um, they got so mad over that review. Um, they never sent me anything else for free. And um, one year I was at Bay Area Media's booth looking over some of their games that they were, they were doing. And they were they, – the, the, two of the people from Taurus Games came in, and they were pitching um, a port of – a um, 
localization of Car Battler Joe, excuse me, which is a Game Boy Advance game. And he runs into me. He's like, hey, I, re- I recognize you. I was like, yeah. It's like, hey, how are you doing? He's like, I really didn't like the review you guys had of Yoda stories. We worked really, really hard on that. I was like, well, I, I appreciate that you worked hard on it, but it's not a good game. It has a lot of problems. It is the most accurate to port to from the computer that we were able to do. It's like, well, it just wasn't a good game. And I'm not going to apologize for my the review of one, one of my staff members because it wasn't a good game. Better ne- Better luck next time. And he was just upset, just really stewing. And then he went over to do his uh, his uh, pitch for the thing they were trying to get them to uh, to to purchase, you know, to help them localize. I'm going over there and playing around with some other games. Eventually, one of the people from Bay Area Media comes over and says, um, "Do you know the people over there?" I was like, "Yeah." I wave, and um, he's just sitting there like, and just completely glaring. And I was like, "Okay." Um, well, the um, person who came over there and tapped on my shoulder was like, um, we'd like you to kind of step out of the booth for a little while. Your your presence is distracting the person we're trying to have a meeting with. I was like, oh, okay, no problem. So I left and went to look at the Warner Brother booth. So that's pretty much – that one's funny. Also, something about um, some of these conventions, there's a lot that happens behind the scenes at conventions that they talk about because that's where a lot of business meetings are made at E3, and they don't always talk softly. I remember the first year I was there, um, this company called Newbie LLC was working on something they're calling the Cobra Project, which was essentially something to kill the uh, Wormlight, which is a competing product. I heard about it while I was passing by their booth because I um, I didn't want to pass through the crowds. I'd walk behind the booths. And then later on, I was like, well, that sounded interesting. I'm going to go over there and talk to them about that. So I went over there the next day, and I was like, oh, can I talk to you guys about your Cobra line of products? It sounded neat. And they just started freaking out over it. I had to sign a bunch of NDAs, but I got a lot of this stuff early, and it was pretty funny. As for um, – there is some anime adventure-related stuff, but, but um, most of that has to do with, like – Oh, there's a, there's there's actually a lot, but I think you might want to, I think you wanted to talk a little bit more about like the video game related side of it. Now, oh, right. yeah, mm-hmm. um, specifically like the some of the cha- what are some of the challenges of being part of a um, video game media related media press, etc. And um, what do you think the state of that is today? Is there a real problem with the hashtag Gamergate? being plastered across the streams on uh, multiple social media sites? Um, is it is it truly the job of people in video game-related media to protect the consumers, or, or should it be more of a consumer's being aware of themselves of what their own tastes are in games and what have you? Because I've, I've, I've noticed that I've noticed that kind of being uh, bandied about a little bit too. Um, th- those sorts of things. Well, in order to answer that, answer that to the best of my ability, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have to really quickly grab a couple pieces of paper I have just right out of my reach for just a moment. Okay.
Okay, headphones back on. <clears throat> I actually went to school for this, um, journalism and such, and um, I've worked in radio and stuff before and sales. So um, there is a group I'd like to mention called the RTDNA, which is the Radio Television Digital News Association. They put out the Edward R. Murrow Award every year, and uh, I'm holding up right here their code of ethics. Um, right. I have this one from the Society of Professional Journalists. Now, the internet has created a kind of, I guess you could say, a blogger mentality. As the ability to communicate has become democratized, more and more people are communicating with more and more people. And that's good. In fact, sometimes the role of journalists in selling a product doesn't even exist anymore with like Nintendo doing their Nintendo Directs and such. Um, you can bring stuff directly to a consumer. So the actual responsibility of a news journalist is actually first and foremost to the public. The obligation of an electronic journalism journalist is to the public. That's the first thing here, the public trust. And what happened with Gamergate? Now, the thing that bugs me about Gamergate is that the hashtag doesn't have anything to do with the initial idea of journalist ethics. It has to do with the sex scandal and allegations revolving around Zoe Quinn. Now, right. did admit that, yes, she did cheat on her boyfriend, Aaron Joni, with like three different people and then two when they were in a break. And then one of those people was also her boss and married, and another one of those person people also wrote articles about her. So that's true. That At the very heart of it, that is true. Now, the people bringing it up, like Argana Sakad, um, the Return of Kings people, um, Anita Sarkeesian, Zoe Quinn herself, um, Mundane Matt, Internet Aristocrat, The Amazing Atheist, um, these people who are out there – May, um, they, they were talking just about that particular scandal. They were they were noticed by Adam Baldwin, who has a um, an agenda that may or may that may, that also includes. They have common enemies, even though they are completely different on the political spectrum. They have common enemies in what you could call a modern, more militant feminist movement, which Zoe Quinn also represents. The original hashtag #GamerGate was put out there. Because it shows a bit of hypocrisy on the on the side of Zoe Quinn, who is an outspoken proponent of um, the whole um, anti men's rights type type movements and the whole feminist movement. In fact, like in the in the in the chat logs, for, for example, she says that if you're not honest with your sexual partners about other people that you've had sex with um, at the time when you're in a relationship with them you're not going into a sexual relationship honestly, and it's pretty much rape. So she was pretty much saying that she had raped her boyfriend on multiple occasions. And a big thing about um, feminists on Tumblr and on the Internet is that a lot of them have this obsession with rape. They believe that, like Anita Sarkeesian comes out and says that, um, Mario rescuing the princess is just furthering rape culture. You see a lot of it in Grand Theft Auto, and you see a lot of it in – these people are kind of nuts. Uh, on both of these sides, they're kind of nuts. And the problem is that uh, when you have these people who are nuts, 
they tend to just attract other people who are nuts or are also possibly dangerous. It's kind of like, and that's the problem with it. Now, Gamergate was coined by Adam Baldwin because um, people like to attach gate to stuff. You hear about Whitewater Gate, which was the right. real estate scandal that killed Vince Foster, or um, Nipplegate with the uh, with the whole FCC thing with the oh what was it Justin Timberlake and other person I forgot. Anyways, uh, he he was just being clever about it. Now Adam Baldwin has a lot of Twitter followers. Now there were people who were concerned that the sexual relationships between Zoe Quinn and these people may have influenced video game coverage, which is, in fact, a breach of ethics. Now, there are people who are like, well, this gamer, this um, Gamergate hashtag that Adam Baldwin used is popular. Let's glom onto that. The, the hashtag itself only has to do with the sex scandal, but there are people who want to use it to talk about journalist ethics, and they kind of want to balance because you see a lot of articles on Kotaku and Polygon and Rock, Paper, Shotgun and a bunch of the larger websites that are just pretty much saying that gamers are horrible um, horrible people living in their parents' basement and going to right of things or whatnot and just like uh, being um, horrible mis horrible trolls. They all think they think we're all Elliot, that Elliot kid who... Uh, shot five people in himself in uh, California. It's still more of an operative... It's it's still the same narrative. They've just updated it to... Instead of saying it's all about violence, they're saying it's all about hatred toward women. And then there are people who are like, well, that's not true. I'm a video gamer, and I don't hate women. In fact, like I know a lot of video gamers who... like We have uh, this thing we call Street Pass Aurora, and people show up to Street Pass Aurora, and we get... All kinds of people who show up to that. Men, women, um, cisgendered, transgendered people. We get everyone that shows up to there. All different ethnicities, all different um, sexual preferences, all different um, gender gender preferences. We get right. all the people who come there. We're all gamers. And there are people who are really upset about people saying that they're awful just because this small group of insanely crazy people with egos were fighting. You see, the thing is, somebody needs to grab Zoe Quinn, Anita Sarkeesian, uh, Patrick Klepik, um, Mundane Matt, an aristocrat, et cetera, and say, hey, guys, could you go off and play over here? Because right now, as you're using or, or saying you represent us isn't the way we want to be represented. Because at the very heart of it, we all play games as a hobby. It's something to do. It's something fun. It's a way to be together. We play video games together. We're, for the most part, peaceful. And unfortunately, the the um, uh, the unfortunate thing about a hashtag is that you can attach anything behind it. You could be like, well, this is a hashtag fluffy, fluffy, fluffy puppies, and it could be just all Stormwatch material. Or right. Like, um, I mean, the rever the there was um. The Westboro Baptist Church had like some pre-things uh, that would all lead back to their stuff, and that's the thing. The problem with the hashtag is that everybody can use it, and then everyone gets mad about it because everyone's using it, and there are people who are using it to represent terrible things. Right. My whole take on it is, I think that 
um, I don't think we should be sticking up for some of these some of these people who are completely awful. Like internet, sorry, not internet aristocrat, the amazing amazing atheist. Um, he is. Um, uh, I think it's funny that you've got people who are you've got um, Adam Baldwin who is I guess you could say neocon, and I have real problems with neocons because they're not. I'm actually right wing, which means. I'm more to the libertarian side of things. I look at this, I'm like, no, no, we have to have personal freedom, et cetera. But people in America look at left as Democrat, right as Republican. When both Democrat and Republican are both left, you've got socialist and socialist light. You know what I'm saying, right? You ran for uh, office as a libertarian, right? Yeah. Um, Though I do operate – I don't specifically operate inside the left-right paradigm specifically because I've seen – I've seen problems mm-hmm. with that box in and of itself. It's, oh, yeah. it's it doesn't tell the full story. Um, Which is what the hashtag is. It's a label that doesn't tell the whole story, and that's really unfortunate. Um, you and you, you had mentioned that you were, despite being friends with, you know, game developers, uh, you handed. Yeah. You yeah. ha- you still handed off coverage of a game to somebody else. They wrote about it honestly. Yeah. I, um, disclosure. Yeah, there were there was also there was also an instance. Um, if you've read Stephen Levy's Hackers Heroes of the Computer Revolution, in the third part where they talk about the up and coming video games, um, the gaming sector. Where there was a publication where the fr- they were friends with people of that particular company, but they were still able to be honest about their coverage and say, "This really is terrible." Yeah, and that's what that's in our code of ethics. When you are a reporter, news reporting now editorial content is completely different. Editorials and reviews, you can be like. Um, if you're writing a, an editorial, you can be biased all day long, but as long as you put down at the bottom that, like, yeah, what you're talking, your connections to what you're talking about, that's fine. At the very, t- very end of the day, I really just want people to be more open about disclosing items, which this is a good thing about this particular movement is that early on there was a lot of people who were like, okay, I'm doing this, I'm adapting, adopting this code of ethics, and there were a lot of smaller websites that got a lot of new traffic because they were actually making an effort to disclose and to do fair reporting. Fairness in reporting means that um, you do mention where you get, got your sources unless they're confidential. Um, at no point do you need to tell people where you got your information from if it harms that person. As a journalist, you protect your you protect your customers, which are the people you are trying to inform, and then you protect your sources. At the very end of that is anybody seeking power, et cetera, et cetera. You don't listen to them. You can be friends with them. I mean, like, for example, if I, I'm not a big fan of Barack Obama, but if he invited me to the White House for coffee or tea or beer or whatnot, I would go. I'd go play golf with him. But um as soon as I'm like, even if I'm in his area there with him, if someone asks me about that, I'm gonna honest ask. I'm gonna honestly and truthfully mention that I do think he's a creep. I do think he, that a lot of his decisions are terrible, and a lot of what he's done for this country, uh, businesses are going to suffer for for a while. But 
if I know the person personally, you can always agree or disagree on that. Be like, yeah, um, I can be like, I don't particularly this particular thing that people are doing, and that works. And that's what journalists need to do. At the end of the day, it's all about, like, for example, when you go into integrity, it's, for example, professional electronic journalists should not pay news sources who have a vested interest in a story accept gifts, favors, or compensation from those who might seek to influence coverage or engage in activities that may compromise their integrity or independence. The whole thing with Gamergate is that it does compromise people's integrity and independence. You had people who were donating to, who were still donating to the Patreons of different developers without disclosing it. That was really the issue. Now the death threats that were coming out for these, um, death threats are kind of part and parcel with the internet. Um, when I was running, um, we had this article, these things on uh, DMGIs called Viral Speak. Viral Speak was pretty much a little thing where people could type in an anonymous message, except for their IP, <laughs> and it would be sent to my email. So, um, I, I may or may not have been responsible for a few of those. Um, oh, that's fine. I know I, I remember arguing with you quite a bit on that, and that's fine. Yeah, um, if you look back through a lot of those old ones, we got stuff from people like uh, like Phil Fish used to go to our website. He's one of the people attached to this. He made Fez. Um, we got we got information from like people from IGN. We got developers who would comment on there. We got all sorts of things. And then there were days where I would go through there and I'd have 700 emails and about 300 of them were kill yourself or things like that. And that happens. Oh uh, yeah, you think that's funny now, Sarah? <laughs> uh, but no, it, that and that's that happens. But the thing about it is, I never really, I never brought it out there because when you give people this publication, you give them power over yourself. And that's one thing that's always bugged me about the three people who were quote forced from their home end quote by this, which were Anita Sarkeesian, um, Leah Alexander, and uh, Brianna Wu. Who, um, Brianna Wu, as far as I can tell, I think she might be trans, which also kind of um. It has it just kind of brings up a thing here that you know people shouldn't be mean to people anyways, but people, right. should, people when people respond to death threats or doxing, yeah, I've I've been emailed pic I was emailed pictures of my house in Nobnoster. Now, for the most part, there's issues where people people bluster a lot and then they don't do anything. Like for example, the bomb threat that was pulled in where um uh Anita Sarkeesian canceled a USU thing. Um yeah, that's awful. And um what's funny about it is the people who initially threatened Anita Sarkeesian um and caused her to leave her home, 4chan and 8chan found them and turned them into the police. So Gamergate actually did help her with that, but it doesn't really fit the narrative to talk about it. There's all sorts of emotions running high right now because everyone can use the hashtag. Okay, so she, so to be clear, she did not actually fake that threat. It actually happened. And they actually oh, found yeah, the person. Part of, well, yeah, part of one of them. Um, this lady comes out every other week or so with like, "Hey, I'm being threatened again. I'm being threatened again." So cry, crying me. wolf one time too many, and. I, I've noticed this about trolls. Nine times out of ten, if it's from the internet or from afar on the phone, they're going to—they're not going to follow through. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, it's people just tend to. Oh man, the cat really likes that. 
we got a new thing for the cat. But uh, yeah, that's a. But however, there is an issue with this, and this is what I'm concerned about the most about GamerGate. Um, are you familiar with Elonis versus the United States? Um, you you. Um, I saw the court case very I, briefly. Basically, what happened was this is being going to be this is going to be argued December first, two thousand fourteen, in the court. And here's what happened in it: Guy is mad at his ex-wife. They're going through a divorce. He's mad at her, so he gets on Facebook and he was like, "Bye, hater." Blah blah blah. I would, I, if I were, I should just, I would totally cut her fucking throat. Blah 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 blah. Just he just ranting on about this, and if the FBI came for me over this, I'd kill them too. Blah, blah blah. Just going off like an idiot, and it landed him 44 years in prison. Now it's being appealed because there was a person in California who made comments on Twitter and on Facebook saying he wanted to kill the president, and that person went to, almost went to jail, but he in the appeals it was overturned by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, which said. You need to have actual subjective intent to harm. When they when they locked up this Alonis guy for 44 years and they gave him that sentence, they said, well, if a reasonable person can look at this and say it's a threat, then it must be a threat, even if there isn't subjective intent to harm. All this case is about is, is it possible for someone to be liable for a threat or remark made on the internet without subjective intent to harm. Oh. That's why it's freaking scary. So so in other so in other words, it, somebody if 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 there's a ruling that comes down that is very, very unfavorable towards um Elonis. Right. Yeah, with this guy, it would be like, oh man, somebody posted that they didn't like my hair on Facebook. I feel threatened. That so that's and I, fucking scary. And that's the problem I have right now with Gamergate is I'm afraid people will start using this because you see it on MSNBC, on the on Guardian, the BBC. You see it in international press. You're starting to see it in things like the New York Times and the LA Times, and larger press companies are starting to follow it because guess what happens if suddenly you can say, hey, this person in the comments said that they didn't like my article and I feel threatened. Oh, yeah. Or oh, this person over here—they're from—they're uh, posting from a website. They're posting from like say Return of Kings or or what was, what was it Prison Planet or um, other types of websites which people consider to be some people consider to be fringe or consider people from there to be threatening. And then you have people who are like, well. There's we don't have to say that there's reasonable intent or subjective intent to harm. We can just say, would a reasonable person think that that person could harm me? Which and, is vague and problematic and in and of itself. And then you've got the thing like what oh yeah, like what defines a reasonable person? Is a reasonable person a like your normal um oh Sorry, your normal people from Walmart. You, you, you've got to go website, right? Like the people who are just like, 
That caused, you know, see, you hear those people sometimes, like, for example, they make fun of this on, uh, occasionally on, on Fridays, like Glenn Beck does this thing called Moron Trivia, where they call up people, and people are just like, oh, the Constitution, that's like a oatmeal recipe, right? Those types of people. If that's the reasonable people, those people have no idea, like, the legal ramifications of, you know, ugh, it's just, if this goes the wrong way, it is very bad. Now, I think that the Alonis guy there, what he did there was dumb. Threatening his wife and all that, or rather his ex-wife like right. that, is dumb. But it shouldn't land him 44 years in, in prison. It's kind of like when people are like, you're making terroristic threats. Now, I don't always agree with the Ninth, Ninth Court Circuit Court of Appeals, but I have to stand with them on this one, definitely. If you look through the um, amiscus here, the um, the briefings, you have um, journalist websites, you have PETA, you have the ACLU, you have people on both the, quote, left and right of the spectrum here, all the way through it, right? from the Thomas Jefferson Foundation to um, the NAACP. And they're all the National Association for Advancement of Color People. And they, oh. um, they were essentially saying that, like, no – if this goes through, this is bad. If all these people are saying this is bad, the people are saying that that um, we shouldn't have subjective intent as the basis. Or the people who are kind of like um, there's some people who are saying that not having to prove subjective intent to harm could put people in danger because you'd have an Elliot Gold type situation, like that guy out in California, or you'd have people who um, would continue to harass victims of things. You know, the people who will make anonymous comments online or even known comments online. It's the threat of victimhood. In other words, so, we're like, one side saying, if we if this goes one way, it's really bad because people can just say they feel threatened and then it becomes a real legal issue. And other organizations could be put in danger, chilling of speech, and what have you. That's exactly what they said in, in many of the briefings. It's the that chilling of that. And um, one thing I have to note about RTDNA and the Society of Professional Journalists is that these are journalist unions. They're fighting, um, they're fighting against this currently as well. But they are unions because sometimes unions, unions are a necessary evil. They're necessary when there's evil. And they're necessary until they become evil. You don't have to pay to be part of NTDNA. And if you're having to pay to be part of a union, there's an issue there. But yeah. Right. So, so there, there is, there is a real, there's been real issues, not just in gaming media, but in media in general. Um, one of, one of our co-hosts, Stephen Kelly, has had to kind of contend with that to an extent, where he oh, was. Yeah. Asked to bump up a rating of a game, and he basically he had his own. He suspected there were some reasons why, but he still said no regardless. Um, and said, "I am no, I'm not going to do that." And 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 when really when they're talking about all oh, this mail secretive mailing list, um, we. I pointed out in a previous podcast episode that um, this is this is known as you know professional networking, which is really one. It's nothing new. Yeah, um, uh, multiple, I, multiple I, industries uh, it happens. Yeah. Um, like for example, the people who run a lot of anime conventions all collude about anime conventions. 
a lot of journalists talk about like, hey, did you hear this or what's happening with such and such? It's it's good to have these connections. The thing is, those connections, while they help you cover things, they shouldn't influence your coverage directly. Right. You not have like, for example, the thing that journalists have been complaining about for about two years now, and nobody seems to want to make a big deal about it, is that if you're part of the White House press corps, before you put something out, um, the guy the guy who replaced Jay Carney takes a look at it and says, well, I think you should remove this sentence and this sentence and this sentence. And that's happening. Uh, we can blame Woodrow Wilson for starting the press club for that. And it's it's just overall just general political corruption. If anybody ever tells you that a political figure is some type of saint, they are completely delusional. All politics is corrupt. Everyone down from uh, – like over here we have um, – oh, I refer to him as chicken pooper uh, – <laughs> And uh, we have like Diana DeGette who once told me that um, there's um, – that she considers her constituents as fodder Democrats or foddercrats as they're the people who go out there and make make a big issue about things. They're the people who go out and pass out the signs and canvases to people who think that they're actually working for them, which they're not. Um, there's, there's – they're called – they refer to them as foddercrats. And sometimes if a couple of those get injured in an event or something that well. might – I mean if it's good for the eventual collective, kind of like, well, maybe if we had some stricter gun laws over here, maybe if stuff happens or we ignore certain items before they happen – that wouldn't be too bad if in the long run it means we can get more guns out of the hands of people who actually should own them. That's like over here, the gun legislation they pushed through after the Aurora School shoot, sorry, the Aurora Theater shooting. Which, there was a shooting at that mall like a year or two before that. And nobody said anything about that, but that's because yeah, there was all sorts there's uh, there's all sorts of issues with that. But yeah, it's all about people trying to grab power. Right now, Gamergate is about several different types of crazy people trying to grab some kind of power. And the worst part about it is that it's popping up and becoming much more prominent right before the Supreme Court decision on LNS versus the United States. Which and I'm so that we're, we're hope, clearly people are hoping that it, um, there's a actual good ruling on that and by good uh no chilling on freedom of speech yeah no chilling on freedom of speech this is good I've, i just got some new we just got some new equipment um it was kind of cheap this I went thing to the camera store after work yep yeah so yeah it's uh yeah gopro we might be using for zombie crawl or so that's uh saturday Cool. But yeah, uh, equipment. <laughs> Always look for sales. I noticed. Um, so the so you 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 are part of the you're part of the um, union that basically says uh, we need to be open, we need to be honest. Um, yes. I personally, I do not consider myself a journalist. I have my own reasonings beyond that. Uh, there's been too much mention of objectivity, which I'm like, well, if you try to be so objective, um, you basically have to ditch your own humanity. I do 
feel, however, oh, that... You know what's funny about that? When people are just like, you have to be completely objective with it? Uh, that's not in this code of ethics. At no point, really, in, I mean, objectivity in news journalism is kind of boring. But you, what you need to have is you need to tell the truth anyways. And sometimes you need uh, if you need to need to leave out certain things to protect, say, the victims of a tragedy. Like you're not going to print right. everyone's names in a criminal case or an ongoing case. You have to treat things with fairness, independence, integrity, and you have to be accountable for that. Part of what people need to do is if they see people being awful um, or, like, or circling their helicopters over Robin Williams' home, seriously, they need to call them out on that shit, which it says in accountability. It doesn't say call them out on that shit like per se, but that's what it means. But I, I do feel that it is um, appropriate if you're friends with somebody that you're covering stuff with, there – there have been instances where people are still able to do it fairly, but disclosure should be in order. And exactly. I, and I think that's, I think that's what a lot of people have forgotten mm-hmm. as well, because w- throughout the gaming media, it's in the beginning in the eighties with Nintendo, with Nintendo power that was started by, a console and gaming company. Oh it's, yeah, they, it didn't become independent until like uh, 2004, 2005. Then Nintendo, that's the Nintendo Power was like, you know what? We're just going to sell this to Future Magazine, and they did. And and then it eventually closed down. Yeah. And everything else. So, um. What what are some of the ways that gaming press can improve their coverage? Because there there clearly is there clearly is a problem of influence, and one of the big challenges is okay, we've got to be fair, but um, how do we get access to um, games early so we can cover them right before press? Um, should early, should early access does early access necessarily help coverage? Or can it helps for reviews. It helps for reviews, and reviews can be subjective. Reviews do not have to be objective. Um, and when people are looking at a review, they need to look at um, when people are looking for in a review is essentially people that they agree with or that have similar taste to them. Kind of like remember at the end of uh, Ratatouille with the um, Egon Ego speech. Uh, um, he gives about like the purpose of critics. He's absolutely right in that that critics at the end of the day don't matter now. But when you're covering video games and stuff, when you're covering editorial content or choosing like whether or not you're going to mention such and such press release, it's okay to mention a press release as long as you label what part of that is the press release and what part is your own. Like you can have editorials. For example, when I post press releases on DMGI stock. I post the press release in its entirety, and then I have what I call my editor's hyperbole notes. And those are always – they can be critical of it, or they can just add to it and link to other content that deals with that particular press release. Right. Most press releases are completely innoxious. It's like here's a couple more screenshots of this and that, and that's fine. And then there's stuff like news stories, for example, with this uh, – with the sex scandal with Zoe Quinn and such – that only had to do with video games because it was her boss and this. That is 
a bylined report over here. You can get statements from the people involved. And at the end of the day, that's the end of your news reporting. You can you can say, yeah, I know this person, I know this person, this person, and they are the subject of this news, and this is where I got my information that I put in this article about them. That's the end of your reporting. Now, if you want to say editorials about why it shouldn't matter, et cetera, et cetera, that's fine too. Your editorial content is separate from that and not covered by a code of ethics. But the very what, what people also want to see improved is um, they're thinking about revising the RTDNA code of ethics. And um, what they're going to add to it, if this goes through near the end of this month, they're voting on it. Um, if the code of ethics change goes through, it changes one of the lines to say that a good ethical electronic journalist should sacrifice the story in term in terms of like you should sacrifice the um the um the story in other words like you shouldn't let you should always let the facts get in the way of a good story what you're telling people is you should let the facts even if they're boring and mundane shine through in your story even if it doesn't get a million hits or even if it doesn't make you a ton right. of ad revenue you should put your audience first you need to put your audience first and put up what they like for example when we saw like Leah, Leah Alexander with her gamers are dead and horrible people article while well, that's her opinion she uh, a good editor would have said, well, you know what? I think we should wait a while before you post something like this, or just not post it, or say we need something less inflammatory for your headline, because a lot of people don't even read past the byline. Um, there's a saying in newspaper called above the fold. Everything above the fold, your headlines, is what people see. Most people just read above the fold; they don't read the rest of the article. Right. And that's the issue. You see a lot of that in the internet. You see BuzzFeed articles or uh, Huffington Post or Upworthy or whatnot, and these people put out just pretty much stolen content or just tiny little articles that are intended to inflame clicks and hits. And what we want is we want people to actually have sensible articles or sensible news reporting and editorials that bring something to the conversation. Now, like, for example, um, the, the Game Developers Conference has a lot of really great panels and a lot of really great speeches. If you're doing, say, an interview with Shigeru Miyamoto, you want to know more about his creative design, et cetera, et cetera. You don't want him to be like – you don't want him to chime in on, say, feminism. Because you're going well, you're going to get an interesting thing or two because um, Japan is extremely, it's weirdly conservative in some ways and weirdly liberal in other ways. And one of the things where it's not liberal and like not um, progressive enough, I guess you could say, would be the role of um, say homosexuality in the in the media in the in their in their culture. Like if you go to Korea, there are people in Korea who don't believe that gay people exist. And if there's a developer out of Korea, like the people who make Ragnarok Online or things like that, if you ask them about that, you're going to get an answer where they're like, well, we don't consider it. And then you're going to make that – if you're trying to get clicks, you're going to make that your headline. If you're not trying to be get clicks or whatnot, that's going to be a small thing in your article or you don't even ask that question because that question isn't really relevant to the development of the game. Um, social justice warriors. Um what is the best way to engage those? Because I've noticed that, uh, and by social justice warriors, I'm not talking about those who 
I've noticed there are those who intertwine the social justice and social justice warriors when actually they're two separate things, though it's kind of somewhat related, social justice being uh, civil rights for various various parts of the population and social justice warriors mainly being people behind keyboards shouting at you. On Tumblr, Tumblr, <laughs> Live Journal, um, some cases Facebook. Um, what is what is the best way of engaging them in conversation? Because um, I've I've noticed that SJWs do a lot of shouting. Um, so Quinn was identified by um, at least one of my co-hosts as an SJW, Anita Sarkeesian, I'm, I suppose, has been identified as some, as an SJW. And when one of the people who guest posted on the Amazing Atheist channel pointed towards an actual scholar, um, and apparently they were ridiculed and ignored because their opinions were different, What's the be- what's the best way to engage them? Do people engage them at all, or should j- they just walk away and and? This is gonna sound kind of s- silly, but a lot of um growing up, um, I listened to a lot of old records, and there's this one called Ansylvania, which um was about these little ants living in a thing, and then one of them, it's essentially the prodigal son story. Now, there's a little song in there where they're talking about um, what you reap is what you sow, or like garbage in, garbage out, what you give is what you get, that type of thing. And there's a little part there where they talk about um, TV. At the time, it was, you know, it's, it's kind of dated because they're like, you can turn the dial, etc. But the basic idea was sometimes you don't have to engage in that. You don't have to listen to everything people say. You can turn around and walk away, um, close the door, refuse to play, that type of thing. Um, it, it, the choice is up to you on that. Now, with the, I have quite a few people on my Facebook who do post up things from Buzzworthy or – sorry, Buzz, BuzzFeed, uh, Worthy, um, right of the, um, Return of Kings, um, all sorts of things. And I have all these types of people, but I don't – always argue with them because in your Facebook settings, there's a little thing where you can sit and say, oh, I want to keep being friends with this person, but I want to unfollow some of their posts or I want to unfollow things from different outlets. But if you want to engage on that, it's usually you can do the wall of text, which I do like to do, but you have to try and find like a small middle ground with it. Most of the time, a I guess you could say a harsh word turns away wrath. I think that's actually a Bible verse. But I'm uh, sorry, no, a, a calm word turns away wrath, not a harsh word. My bad. <laughs> yeah, don't yell at them over that. You need to think of, yeah, it's just pretty much like a calm word turns away wrath. If you ever if you look at say like in the Bible when they would talk about like what would Jesus do, only once did Jesus ever take action against something. And most of the time he would respond to things very calmly. First thing you need to do is don't let them piss you off. They're there to try and ruin someone's day. Don't let them do that. I mean, they're horribly ignorant, a lot of these people, and sometimes they're doing it just to be funny. So we can just look at it and say, well, here's my stuff and my statements. If someone picks this apart in a good way, I can actually converse with that person. We can sit there and break this down as to why this is this and that is that. 
Um, most of the time with viral speak, I, I it took me a long time to let be less inflammatory towards people. In fact, actually, I started like doing these little comics. I never published it, published some of the new ones. I haven't published those, but I would always just write my stuff down. Like write down what you wanted to say, look over it a couple times, and then sometimes I just delete it. Sometimes it's just not worth going into into battle with people who honestly they don't have any stakes or they're just doing it just to be controversial. Like the thing with Zoe Quinn and Edith Sarkeesian or some of these people is that without attention, hmm, I'm, this is going to sound really bad, but if you, um, the, the way to get rid of an attention whore is to not give them attention. <laughs> It's kind of like and – and then you have people who just stick up for these people anyways because there are people who want to share in things. There's people who jump on bandwagons and such. I think the thing with this is – like, for example, they had that uh, Stop Gamergate 2014 hashtag, which was started by some um, Indian guy out of Toronto who, uh, if you went down his entire Twitter post, was talking about how um, while white people should die before he started, t- started talking about the Stop Gamergate 2014 people. There's a lot of wonderful little people attached to both sides of this. But that Stop Gamergate 2014 hashtag was in the top five on Twitter for about two or three days, and then it went away and got replaced again by just the standard Gamergate hashtag. You've got people who are trying to play a marketing thing here, and what they're selling is just confusion and all the scattered stuff. At the very end of the day... Gamergate itself is just about just a hashtag describing a scandal that a lot of people decided to take and mean whatever they wanted to at the time. I have I know people who do take it as meaning as being a source of pride, being like, I am a gamer. I'm not a misogynist, I'm not a misandrist, I'm not a racist, I am a gamer. Gamergate represents me. Well it does because you said it does. But it also represents other people who may be awful and disagree with you because they said it does too. That's it's kind of like the uh, Guy Fox mask of the internet. Um, a lot of people would not actually agree with Guy Fox because uh, some of his political views were deplorable. But they look at that and they take that as a symbol for something else. It means it can be a symbol for anonymous. Who some parts of anonymous are really great. Some parts of anonymous are not. It's just it's. It's just a symbol, and people need to get it's, – it's like people getting mad at a symbol. You can put anything behind a hashtag and make it awful. Make it awful. Yeah, one of these. Of course I do. <laughs> and, and it's sort of like lumping them all in the same category together, and it's basically – that alone should be proof enough that, that um, those who play video games or even – casually play games, even if it's on their smartphone or tablet, they they come from all walks of life with many different views in between. Um, do you feel that more than anything that more competition in media would actually, more diverse competition would actually help solve part of the problem? It's already solving it. What you have here with the people who are mad about Gamergate or like running about rush talking about it is that the democratization of the ability – like for example, we can make this podcast. We can do this. This can go up on YouTube. This can get viewed by a ton of people. You can write these articles. 
these things are cheap. These things are easy to do. The democratization of the ability to give people information is the Malcolm Gladwell tipping point toward the destruction of the old. It's, it's about the created destruction of these older standbys. While we need to attach that code of ethics to these new items, these new items aren't governed by nations or whatnot. The Internet itself just wants to be free. It just... All of this information out there, like for example, I re I actually do support WikiLeaks, although WikiLeaks, although I think that Julian Assange may or not may may or may not be a scumbag. Um, I think Edward Snowden um, did the right thing, although his methods may be a little questionable. I do think he's a good guy, and if he doesn't come back to the United States anytime soon, good on him because there are people out here who are terrible toward him. But I think that the democratization of these tools means more voices can be heard. And some of those voices we're not going to like, but we it's fine for them to be out there because the more people out there saying things, the more people expressing themselves, that's good. If we agree with their ability to express themselves, that's bad. It hurts us as a, as a whole, and this will all make itself better or make itself worse before it gets better. In the long run, I, I kind of believe in world peace through shared popular culture or through shared popular expression. As in, this is how we unite. We uni I mean, sometimes you'll have bad things, like we'll have people running around um, pushing the worst possible things, like Sharia law or food babe. Or things like yeah or um you'll always have you'll always have the people who are militant humanists like uh, the Richard Dawkins of the world and you'll always have the Ken Hams of of intelligent design and creationism you'll always have ever you'll always have that and now they can be heard for example you can go find like all sorts of serious articles and podcasts about sharia law and islam issues and then you can find issue, find stuff about bahai which is a offspring of Islam. I mean, I can go there and find stuff about about uh, from from I can find all that information on the internet. People make it available. People make media available. Everyone has a megaphone, and that's the best thing about it. And we can't censor or take away another person's megaphone because if we do that, we may be the next person they take it from. You can't start burning books because fire spreads. Makes sense. Um, I think Gamergate is ultimately a positive thing, even though there are some aspects attached to it that are negative. Ultimately, it's a conversation that we do need to have, but we do need to stop supporting these huge egos that are just duking it out for no reason in this tag we need to look at the reasonable side of this and say, hey, here are people who just want to have this discussion. And sometimes that discussion may not make sense to other people, but we should also try and understand it. You know what I'm saying? Well, certainly. Um, is Depression Quest, I have not even tried playing it. Um, good, game. Game, good game, bad game, or, or something else entirely? Well... Um, do you remember those old Choose Your Own Adventure books? Yes. Yeah. Um, Twain is a free-to-download program where you write out your books and they give different strings to it. Excuse me. Depression Quest is that kind of game. It's a game, and it's an okay, it's an okay novel. Um, it has pretty good sound design. 
I think that there are way too many typos, and I think that it comes from a uh, a perspective or a female view that doesn't match up with my male view or my – it doesn't match up particularly with my own um, things with depression. It's right. It's kind of different, but it's different for everyone. Depression is different for everyone. If it gives certain people the ability to look at this and say, hey, this is kind of what that's like, that's good. Ultimately, I think it's a positive thing. But I do think that the person behind this particular game may not be a good person. Kind of like how I love the game Fez, but Phil Fish um, sometimes comes around and says some horrible things, and but that just happens. Like, I like Charlton Heston. He said some terrible things. I like Mel Gibson. Mel Gibson has said awful things. Um, I like... A lot of these people and the art that they make, like I like Henry Rollins, um, but Henry Rollins has some opinions that I don't agree with, and some of the stuff he's said is just completely deplorable. But it's not going to stop me from liking him in The Legend of Korra or listening to Black Flag or some of his other stuff. And like Ty, Ty Cobb. Well-known, well-regarded baseball player, but um, grew up grew up a proud Southerner and loving the Confederacy more than anything else and was, did not like playing with certain other people. I would imagine that uh, the New York Yankees were just falling all over themselves. <laughs> just kidding. No, um, but it's like, yeah, just because some um, – that's the thing is, as things become more available, we're shining light into this. When you're shining a huge light into things, like into a dark – think of the world as dark and dusty. Many places of the world still are. When you push the lights into there, you're going to find horrifying cockroaches, and some of those cockroaches are going to be the ones from Terraformers. That's really great manga and anime. You should check it out. But uh, <laughs> that's, uh, that's, that's just the way it is. You're always going to find that awful bit to it. Now, if you focus only on the awful in there, you're only going to find the awful. But if one keeps an open mind and yeah. knows there's more than one thing there, it can be yeah. a very, very interesting, wonderful thing. Um, any advice to those who are up and coming in new media, no well, matter what they cover or talk about? What you need to do first is I think the best advice I can give to people in new media is to know thyself. Sometimes in order to know yourself, you need to know what your limits are or who you, who you are as a person. If you're still finding that, um, a good code of ethics can help, help you define that. In other words, you need to get your backbone before before you like a good thing about these code of ethics and stuff is that yes, I ascribe to these, which means I would take a bullet for the truth. And you can't stop the truth of the bullet. Actually I check I suggest people check out like the Agronomist. Um that's a pretty good documentary about um social reform in Cuba. But yeah, um you can't kill the truth with a bullet. So you need to become something that's unkillable. You need, to, you need to embrace the truth. Even if it's just the truth as you see it, and even if it's the truth as you see it, you need to tell people that. You need to be foremost and foremost honest. Your point, what you're doing as a journalist is you have to inform people. If you've heard something that's horrible, you need to let people know about it. Let them know where you got this or so. Even if you're a person who's like, for example, I think Glass-Steagall is terrible. 
I think that's a, that was a terrible um, law. There are people who um, base their entire thing on that. That would be the LaRouche Foundation. Um, I think they're terrible people, but I have to admire the fact that they do what they do and they're honest about what they believe in. Peta, um, the lady who runs that, she's horrible. Ingrid Newkirk, but she's honest about it. People, you know what you're getting. Yeah. People need to if you're if you're a good journalist, you know what you're getting when you go in. For example, I'm biased against consoles and PCs because I prefer handhelds and mobiles because more stuff in there. I mean I, I, I think that they're kind of the future. Wearables will be the future. Tablets will be the future. But people know that getting in get going in. They know that that's what I'm about. If you're do a you, person, yeah? Do you own a pebble? No. I have been unemployed for a while, and it's been kind of rough. Job market's pretty tough out there, I take it. Oh, yeah. You know when they say that the um, – yeah, that's the thing that bugs me. Every night, time you get, oh, the unemployment numbers went down. The unemployment numbers went down because less people are eligible to claim unemployment. In many cases, like here in Colorado, for example – if you get you unemployment is paid by your previous employer. If you don't have a previous employer or it's been too long since then, you are not eligible for unemployment benefits at that point and therefore are not counted. And as people age out of that system, they pay and people pay for unemployment went down. We're on the right track. No, those people are just permanently not able to get unemployment. They're not being counted. And that's not even including those who've just given up, basically. It is so tempting to do that. Yeah. And it is rough out there. Um, and and even, even in your situation, I noticed that, yeah, you have an announcement for cheap advertisement space, but even now I don't I don't see really anything in ever advertisements on on your website I don't even see any Google AdSense I don't see no, we actually are technically on AdSense but we don't have Google ads up there because I don't like those I can't always moderate them the way I want um, most of what I do is like I am um, I did I actually have been talking to people from Squarespace and from Wix and from other websites and stuff like audible and such to do promotions with that because many of those are just like they pay you a couple hundred a month or so to put an ad or some ads up on your stuff and then just do it on a month-by-month -month basis. If it works out for them, they keep doing it. Then that's how it works. Like with uh, um, Google well, – sorry, with YouTube, that's um, – we've been making some pretty decent money on that because I put ads in front of those and it took me a while to get to be a Google partner to do that. Um, it just um, – it doesn't have any influence on what I make. But right. – most of what we do is like, uh, for the most part, I prefer the internet not to have a lot of ads, but they're part of how you pay for things. And if you're able to, I mean, we're on. We, we if you're able to budget things properly, you don't have to rely completely on ads. Excuse me. That's why eventually we will do a Patreon, and the Patreon will be, you know, because. The website itself, if it made five hundred, six hundred dollars a month, that'd be amazing. It takes about seven or seven. It takes about five or six hundred dollars a year in total fees. That's about it, which is actually really small considering for some um, considering the depth and and brevity of it. I mean, I don't pay, I pay for Flickr, I pay for search and other types of things, but uh, 
our expenses are really low. And they've been low right. for a long, long time because when we started out, we only had a minimal amount of space. So we had to be more creative about it. We had to be less pictures, more talk. And that's that's it's because of our kind of conservative upbringing that we're able to operate for so low. And and I noticed you you also like to experiment with other other sites too. Um, you're you're talking about possibly doing a crowdfunding. What sets Patreon apart, by the way, from say Indiegogo, Kickstarter, GoFundMe, etc.? Well, the difference between those is that Patreon is essentially a uh, it is a subscription model. Kickstarter. If you don't hit your funding funding goal in that amount of time, you don't get any money. If Indiegogo, if you don't hit your funding goal in that, you still get the money that you raised, and that's a one-time thing. With Patreon, you set people where people are like, okay, I give you, I'll give you a dollar every month, and then they give you a dollar every month. It's recurring. In other words, you're spot, you're you're essentially assembling a paycheck. So, so you're so it's more of a sponsor. It's better for those who are looking for something stream on an ongoing basis. Oh, it, yeah, it's going to be amazing for like, I mean, kids these days they can watch. I mean, the ability for kids to make money these days is is um kind of amazing. When I was growing up, I had to walk dogs and mow lawns and things. Today, kids could be like. I'm going to make these little things. I'm going to make videos talking about music or this and this and this, and they can get people to pay them for that monthly. Or I'm going to just run around chasing my cat with a camera. <laughs> That's People can make money off of that because there are people who are willing to say, oh, I'll give a little bit for that. Because a dollar, a dollar from someone isn't anything. A dollar isn't worth much. Even from one person, a dollar's worth much isn't worth much. But if you have a bunch of people who give a dollar, the more you build on that, it's kind of like if you have one person who gives a dollar, that's a dollar you didn't have. If that one person and other people give just a dollar, it keeps growing and growing and growing to the point where you can make a living off of that. You also need to need to like look at things cheaply. Like, okay, I can do this. I can get stuff sent to me. Um, one of our friends, uh, he runs a YouTube channel that deals with Pokemon, and he was able to cover all of his expenses using that. In fact, somebody sent him like capture kits and all this stuff for free because they enjoyed his videos, which he made with, uh, well, a microphone and um, slideshows, like essentially kind of like, um, oh, what is the name of that? It's PowerPoint. Yeah. Um you can do what you, you can kind of do what you want with these and make money on that. And then you can get part-time jobs to implement, to complement that money. People can do this now. It's easy. We can, we can fund these things. For example, I funded the uh, localization for time of Eve, um, which is an anime movie. Um, I was looking up at, there's this thing on Netflix called Wakfu that my niece started watching. I looked it up a bit. The dub for that was crowdfunded via Kickstarter. They raised they raised a hundred and sorry, they raised well, actually actually they raised almost four hundred thousand dollars or something for that. Wow. And they needed about eighty thousand to do a dub. And they set down these things like, okay, we can do a dub for the first season. We can do the dub for the second season. We can cover the OVAs. We can cover eventual Blu-ray releases of this. And that's on Netflix now and you can find it and watch the dub. People cared enough about what they liked to give 5, 10, 15, 20, 25, etc. 
to make it happen. And that's all just one-time commitments, which is awesome. Um, one, one possible advertising model I want to experiment with down the road, I, I, I put it out there before, but um, uh, things, life happened and all that, so I had to set the website aside for a while yet again. But I, I remember hearing hearing somebody online going, you know, I only I only promote products I believe in, blah 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 blah. I'm like, well, regardless how people feel about that person, that's still a good idea to get behind. Uh, the because I've I've been conflicted myself on advertising. If it's something on Google AdSense, that's one thing because they're the ones that are doing it. It's clear they're doing it, so I can't always be yelled at for for something like that. But for people to be like, hey, can you advertise or pitch this product if it ever happens? Um, basically, what I'm intending the policy to be at some point is you send a copy of product or you give access to the service for a certain amount of time. Um, basically, if if it's something I wouldn't support or back, uh, the whole thing would be sent back. A rev relevant review would be written. Otherwise, we keep it. Write cool. about it. You get advertisement basically free for a year. Or even less than that. I mean, it's always good to keep stuff for even less than that. Like, we actually had, we're running at one point a small text ad about um, this website that dealt with online gambling. We ran that for about a year. I got paid. $400 to do that, which is fine. It was just a little sentence. I looked at it and I was like, you know what? It's still gaming related, and while I think gambling can be bad for people, that's their choice. Like, for example, I'm, I'm the person who, I would run a cigarette ad even though I don't smoke because there are people who do. And the way I look at it, I'm like, now things I wouldn't run, if I, if I have a say in it, which sometimes I don't with YouTube, there are certain companies that I wouldn't support. But at the end of the day, I can make my I can make my like for example, if there's a Planned Parenthood ad in front of my in my front of my video, and I am doing a rant on Planned Parenthood about how awful a lot of the people involved in that are and how they're exploiting um, women through the porn industry, that would be fine because yeah, they've got their ad on it and they're paying me to bash them. Okay, I, I like that. <laughs> I'm okay. It's like I it's like I like your money. I don't like you, that type of thing. Right. Um, it's kind of, it's because I've been conflicted on advertisement, going, okay, if if I'm doing something like full page in a PDF, but I don't want to compromise who I am, which when you mentioned know thyself earlier, because mm -hmm. it, if you don't, you could run into all kinds of problems or get caught in the wrong crowd of people, and you lose yourself quite almost quite literally. Lose yourself in the moment, the moment you own it. <laughs> um, uh, do you think that some a model like that could work, possibly, if, especially if you're lacking equipment, but you also you also want to be honest and say, okay, this, this they, they sent this to us, but this is not something we can get behind because it's just it's mediocre or it's terrible or it breaks badly. Yeah, that's fine. Um, what people need to look at, like, 
example, I think one of the best whizzes when it comes to ads is um, um, have you ever seen any of PewDiePie's um, stuff? PewDiePie, he's the biggest name in YouTube. He, he used to live in Sweden, now he lives in the UK or so, and sometimes he visits his family or something in Italy and Sweden. But yeah, he will. If he if he if he's not having fun with a video or a game that's been sent to him, he'll maybe do one video about it, say why not, why he doesn't like it or so, and then just do nothing else about it. But he's at a point where these companies are like, well, he did talk about us once. Okay, they just kind of move on because he's got, he's developed the pull. Eventually, when you start out and you're small, it is very easy to get pulled in one way or the other. Eventually, you become uh, gain, uh, you gain strength the longer you are in this and the more people that follow you, et cetera, et cetera. There is that strength in numbers, and that keeps people from being um, completely influenced. But at first you have to start out that you aren't influenced. You don't want to play that those reindeer games right. <laughs> not, like the movie. <clears throat> but, yeah, um, pretty much like yeah, it's good to start out, and sometimes – Sometimes you have to flip a bit, flip burgers for a while before you can find a job that you like. Sometimes you may have to um, work with smaller advertisers that have products you're not particularly a fan of, and you can make that evident and known. Uh, but eventually, you can use them as stuff to get better advertisers. That's how you do it. It's like, oh, I got sales from this. I can use the sales I got from this to look for sales from this. You have to keep escalating. Um, is selling swag like like mugs, t-shirts, etc. Is that viable or not so much? Um, you can make practically everything on Redbubble and Cafe Press, and if people like your logos and stuff and are willing to wear, it, or if you wear them in your videos and stuff, you can eventually get people to buy those, and that works out pretty well. Etsy is freaking amazing, and it it's fine. You can get fan art from people too. I've got I have weird fan art. Um. Like with, when animation's art was um, was a retail business, it's currently in hiatus. Um, I got I have, I have a stuffed My Little Pony version of me that was given to me by some of the fans of the store and stuff. Because frankly, I, I think the cartoon's cute, but people will give you like little letters of appreciation. If people like what you're doing, they will find ways to go out of their way to to promote that. And then when people do that, you have to thank them for that. You have to promote that. You have to be like, hey, did you see this thing that we got from these people? This is amazing. It's a give and take. Um, you're, basic, you're, 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 you're first off and foremost, you're talking to your customers. And if you engage your customers, the people that you're trying to inform, you can, you can and you're friendly to them, you, you celebrate them. You celebrate the good commenters. You celebrate the good. And you kind of ignore or don't or um deal with the bad just like sometimes the almighty delete button is wonderful it's not censorship if you're if somebody's like uh if it's a private forum or so blocking someone on a private forum is not censorship in the way that it's your private forum and you can just read that and they signed up to be part of that a lot of people just need to read those things when they comment for example youtube comments will always be moderated I have a little block list of words that um, people can't really say in the video. Sometimes people try to work around it, 
like I remember um, I was listening to a copy of the Broken podcast. That's a uh, the podcast that PewDiePie and a couple other huge prominent YouTubers do. And they're talking about their filter lists. His filter list is pretty much like there's 87 different ver- versions of the word fag, which he which automatically it puts those in a filter if those are anywhere in the um, article. And then he goes through those spam filters later on. He ended up turning off the comments on some of his newer videos because he's like, this is just taking too much time taking away from this. Sometimes you just have to sacrifice the ability to communicate with people that way if you if if um it's for the best of making a better better thing as a whole for everyone. So yeah, when it comes to advertisements, um, sometimes you have in order to make an omelet, you have to make a bit make, make you have to break a few eggs, and sometimes eggs eggs don't smell appetizing ever until you've got them until you've cooked them and made the omelet with them. They're delicious, but they never smell appetizing by themselves. <laughs> right. Well, I think that just about wraps it up. Um, people yeah. can reach your site at dmgice.com. You're also on Facebook, Twitter. You're experimenting with Ello. How's that going? I think I'm just going to use it to like post background information, like, for example, with musical rations. I'll post a playlist for some of those. Um, like Stuff I'm working on, I'll post about. For example, I was working on a um, – I've been videotaping some more audio, some more video for a gaming paraphilia. Like I tried to upload my um, quick let's suffer through of uh, Sonic Genesis for the um, Game Boy Advance, excuse me, which is an awful, awful game. And um, it was so awful that while I was uploading it, my computer decided it wanted to um, reboot itself for updates. <laughs> so oh. I was trying to try it Yeah, it took forever. I was like, oh man, it got about halfway through of this. Um, I think the the file size itself is like. Mm, about five or six gigs. Oh yeah, because it's run. It's a, it's 1080p. It's 60 frames per second, etc. Once YouTube finally decides to actually cut, actually let 60 frames per second run, um, a lot of my videos will suddenly jump in frame rate, which will be nice. But yeah, um, I try. I, I use Windows Media um, Editor, the one that came with it, to do that, and I've been playing around with it, and that works just fine for me. Um, eventually, I'd love to get a copy of Final Cut Pro, but I may have to do that through less than legal means. Eh. Um, there, there's actually, or or you might wait and see if uh, OpenShot supported it to Windows. They're supposed to be working on that, and that's going to be free to so. use. Yeah, I hope so. A lot of these tools have become – I mean, Audacity is amazing for this stuff. There's so many tools that are here for people to use. Almost every webcam – sorry, every uh, laptop or tablet comes with a webcam in it. You can record so much. It's so easy to do. It, kind of yeah. insane. Um, I've – I myself, I I'm running Ubuntu on this system right now, recording this with you live, uh, and everything else. So, and I'm I'm actually going to learn how to use a desktop publishing program called Scribus, or some people call it Scribus, depending on potato potato. Um, that ah, he makes good music. No, just kidding. <laughs> where it's like those who are used to like other desktop publishing programs on the higher end can learn quickly and use. I got to learn how to use that because um, it's LibreOffice is wonderful, but 
Um, it's not fully geared towards desktop publishing. It's more of an office suite, though it can be used as such. So um, it's amazing how these tools are out there now and anybody can get started. The major obstacle other than learning this stuff is what you were talking about earlier, and that's knowing yourself before you get into this. It takes commitment, and as long as people start like adding the commitment to it and putting them putting their time and effort into it, they can create things. It is so amazing the tools that are freely available. For example, like with um, it, just going back to GamerGate, it's kind of amazing that um, so like Zoe Quinn was able to make what is essentially a uh, thirty-minute um, graphic no a 30 minute visual I'm sorry a 30 minute novel choose your own adventure novel and then get it on Steam and the reason for that well is because it's actually a compelling thing like some of these like a, there's this game being worked on called That Dragon Cancer not only is it amazing looking the people who are doing this are just trying to show what the what their son's battle with cancer was like and they're doing wow. this with Unity which by the way Unity ah there are so many wonderful coding languages which are just becoming more and more democratized, meaning everyone can do it. I have a PlayStation Mobile um, license for making video games on the PlayStation Mobile format, which would mean Sony phones, PlayStation Vita, PS4, etc. I have that license. That license is free. It uses all these free tools that you can readily download and work with. It it would literally cost me no money to put together some kind of a free of a free runner like stuff like Cannonball or things like that. An endless runner doesn't require a lot of effort to it, and you can make money off of it. You can publish it on iOS. You can publish it on Android. You can publish it on these. These tools are there. They just require time and effort. So you gotta know what you love, know what you like, and then do it. Makes perfect sense. Well, again, I think that just about wraps it up. Thank you so much for uh, joining me here this evening. Um, hey, no problem. Oh, um, like um, you were calling. I think you were saying when it's calling me Phil Wesley. I don't mind that. Um, uh, but like, and um, and I'm also on a bunch of other uh, podcasts. And um, like, this is Philip Wesley or. The Mile High Mouth. That's actually I own that URL. The Mile High, like Mile High Mouth because we're a mile high up here in Colorado. Before that, I was the mouth of the Midwest, <laughs> and now I'm the Mile High Mouth. So that's kind of the little identity that we use uh, use for like Area DMG and Radio DMG. Kind of like you're listening to Philip Wesley, the Mile High Mouth, and we're here today with and that type of stuff. That's always fun. So, the Mile High Mouth, Philip Wesley, thank you for joining me here this evening. No problem. Um, you will definitely be on episode 63 of the podcast. 62 should be coming out this Monday, where we we talked about uh, the Blood Moon. That was that was a fascinating topic in and of oh, itself. Who's in that with you guys? Oh, uh, that was that was. Um, Shaggy, my co one of my co-hosts, we talked about the Blood Moon, and um, and it was it was pretty fascinating stuff. It was pretty cool, um, going from the controversy surrounding. Oh, okay. Yeah, looking uh, forward to it then. Um, it's actually on the Next Report YouTube page. Um, generally, what we do is we pull the audio from the videos that we record. Um, 
put the little intro into it, encode it in MP3, upload it to the website, and update the RSS feed, and away we go. So, um, so yeah, that's what will happen a week from this Monday for for the discussion you and I had, just in time for Halloween. Isn't that awesome? Excellent. So, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to it, and when it comes out, um, just tweet me about it or mention it on Google Plus or Facebook, and I'll link to that. Um, definitely. Just, like, let me know when it's up and all that, and I will go ahead and signal boost it. It's just fun. Like, uh, and um, I went and uh, I didn't realize I wasn't subscribed to your thing, so I subscribed. <laughs> Awesome. We have yeah, we have a new subscriber. Welcome him. The Mile High Voice, <laughs> Philip Wesley, dnpice.com. Uh, that just about again wraps it up. You're above the clouds of Colorado. <clears throat> oh, there you go. So, well, that's pretty much it. Uh we will um come up with more great interviews. Um just everybody let us know who you want us talking to next or down the road. Um, you can find us on thenextreport.com where we have our social networking bar, except for Tumblr. That theme doesn't have the little Tumblr icon as of yet, but that's all right. Um, yeah, we're literally everywhere. So entertain yourself, educate yourself, empower yourself. Uh, mile, mile high voice Philip Wesley thanks again for joining us I'm going to have to call you that from yeah. now on so. yeah it's the, the mile high mouth mainly because um, I I talk a lot and I'm pretty much mile up here I do tend to have a big mouth <laughs> it's just it's kind of like